In 2015, 14 people left behind their everyday lives to take part in a brand new social experiment. Could they stay hidden for 28 days, battling against paranoia, isolation and a crack team of experts whose mission it was to hunt them down? It was a battle against the state and a platform for a programme that's since hooked a nation as viewers asked themselves one question. Do we really have what it takes to go dark? Or in the world of modern detection, would we be hunted? I don't really trust anybody at the moment. Sorry? I don't really trust anybody at the moment. I think that's what happens. We don't trust anybody. You can get complacent as a fugitive. It's very draining, very tiring. Who's your friend? Who's your enemy? Who's on side? Who isn't? Who can you trust? There's no way we're going to be able to continue like this. How come we're going to fucking hell? Are you sure you need all of it? What can I do with it? I'm supposed to do what you leave behind. Fugitive on the road who can't carry what he's, what he's got with him. It's ridiculous. I don't understand. I know, so but I can't explain it to you. Like, is it not clearly just safer to not speak to them? Would you agree with that or not? I can't go four weeks without saying, hello, I'm fine. Well, what he's been clicking on is um, penis size study, what's normal anyway, what's the average penis length. They say that you're more truthful to your search engine than you are to your wife. So we found something, I think you'll agree, really interesting on Ricky's email. My colleague's going to take hold of you, mate. Do you understand? Good man. Come with me. Are you coming to the car? Hold him, hold him. Hold him, come on, hold him. fucking think about it, because I'm put you on the floor. My name's Craig. And I'm Nat. In 2022, we discovered Hunted and are now obsessed. And now, in the absence of a brand new series, we've gone back to the start as we attempt to find the answers to our unanswered questions. Like, was there ever a danger that the show would be called Passenger hunters. Like, seriously, all Danny and Nick seemed to do was capture people near public transport hubs. Speaking of which, if Dr Ricky Allen had got off the train in Milton Keynes as planned, would he still be on the run eight years later? Who on earth decided it would be a good idea to constantly jump the fugitive timelines? Dipshit behaviour. And what will a current member of the Hunted team make of that original series? Let's find out as we welcome Deputy Ray Howard to the Hunted podcast. All units, stand by. Hello and welcome back to the Hunted Podcast. We've stepped out of our usual surroundings, we've hired another meeting room and we've captured ourselves another member of the Hunted team. We have, yeah. Excited? Yeah, obviously. Tell us a little bit about who we've captured then. We've got a little sneak of him in the intro, but give us a little bit of uh, flavour okay. as to who we've got. We've captured ourselves uh, a deputy from off from HQ. Um, yeah, we've, we've captured ourselves Ray. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a star booking. I don't think we can get any better <laughs> than this, unless Jordan does want to turn up when we tell him <laughs> sorry Jordan obviously a joke Ray thanks so much for joining us welcome to the Hunted podcast oh thanks for having me on it's great yeah thank you we've been after you for a long time really appreciate you coming mm-hmm. to join us obviously as we say the current deputy on the show we're going to talk about series one specifically in this episode but we will get to grill you a little bit more about your hunted journey so far later on 
take us back to 2015 and give us a little bit of background of Raymondo. What were you up to in 2015 and why weren't you involved in Series 1? Well, 2015, or where was I? I was a head of intelligence for a police force called Thames Valley Police and uh, I had no idea about Hunted whatsoever and uh, I kind of saw a bit of it when it came on but I'll be honest with you, I didn't really watch it intently. It was kind of on in the background so I've only really recently watched it. I guess it was a bit of like a busman's holiday. They watch it sometimes. You want to get home and switch off and not be thinking about, oh, what's he doing there? Oh, absolutely. And of course, you do you sort of shout at the TV a little bit when these things are on, don't you? Especially as a as a cop or an ex-cop, which we've got plenty on in the hunted team. Um, but, you know, it's, it is entertainment, isn't it? It's good entertainment as well. But there is a reality to it as well. People always ask me, oh, Ray, you know, is it real? Well, it's not real, but it is a real game. And I think that's what people need to understand. It's a real game. You know, there's rules with it and everything. And you can win and you can lose. And we want you to lose. And if it wasn't for this first series, I think it's fair to say that we wouldn't have the hunted that we are. Now, we were just sort of talking off mic before about it being a little bit of a different show, which we'll get into a little bit um, as well. Obviously, you know, you've got that link with um, the heist as well, which we'll talk about in another episode and get your thoughts and, and stuff on that. But mainly here to talk about Series 1 in this particular episode. Just before we delve into it and uh, remind people of where they can get in touch and things like that, the current series of Hunted, Celebrity Hunted, the one which we saw earlier this year as Bobby Seagull was captured just before he got on that plane to mass celebration. Poor Bobby. Um, (laughs) Poor Bobby, lovely man, um, is nominated for a TV Choice Award on the long list at the moment. Why should people get on their phones in the link in the description and get hunted onto that shortlist, other than the fact that we can all have a nice party. Well, it would be nice to have a party. At, uh, but the reality is, though, I mean, Hunted is a great TV show, isn't it? It's great entertainment. It's great escapism. You can, you, can, you can watch what people are doing and you can put yourself in their position. I think that's the trick, isn't it? We will look at it as, uh, as viewers and say, ah, I would do this, I would do that. They would never catch me. But the reality is, we all know it's not that easy. So, yeah, vote for Hunted. TV choice. Yeah, absolutely. More awards hopefully to come in the future as well. If, you know, we do get to the shortlist and get to go to the awards, who's the more likely out of the team to be persuaded into wearing their Sorry Jordan t-shirt? Oh, it's got to be JP. JP will wear it. He'd have it on underneath. Like he'd, yeah, he'd, yeah, he'd have it underneath his shirt and he'd just sort of... Definitely. Joe well, to be honest, there's, there's loads that would wear it. I don't, I don't <laughs> think you'd struggle, but, but, but JP came straight to mind because he likes a laugh. He does like a laugh. <laughs> I was quite surprised. Well, we were both quite surprised by the uh, reaction to uh, Sorry Jordan when yes. uh, that took off, which was <laughs> hilarious. More on that another time. Now, reminders, please, social media expert of uh, where people can get in touch if they want to talk, rant, ask questions, etc. about Hunted. Uh, Instagram at HuntedPod, Facebook HuntedPod, Twitter at HuntedPod or email HuntedPod at Outlook.com. And if you do want to send us a WhatsApp voice note, you can do so as well. The number that you need is in the description. Shall we delve into it then? Yes. So last week on the the podcast, uh, Nat and I spoke all about the final episode six as Lauren and Emily and Stephen and Martin all made it to the extraction point and managed to get away and slip away from the hunter's net. What we're going to do on this episode is we're going to go through the fugitives, have a little look at bits of their journey, get Ray's thoughts on all of them, get his thoughts on the process and that sort of thing. But let's delve back to the very, very start. Obviously, you said that you didn't watch it too much at the time. It was just sort of on in the background for you. 
You've since watched it after we've asked you to, yeah. really, which is really kind of you. Didn't need to made your notes. Um, what did you make of it when you were sitting down and watching it with a purpose? I thought I thought it was a really good show, actually, uh, but it, it wasn't the show that it's become. Uh, I think some of the editing choices, some of the way that the characters were built up, because the show is not about the hunters, is it? Really, the show is about the people going on the run. Uh, and uh, although I think there were some really good characters on there, what I what I really didn't quite um, like so much was the fact that we would get introduced to a character, start to warm to them, and they were gone in one episode. And that, yeah. that was quite a surprise to me because obviously now you see much more build-up, um, so I think you're more invested in individual characters. Whereas in that first series, you're just getting invested and they were gone. Does that come as a surprise in terms of like an investigative process? Because if you're following someone, you're following someone from the start of their journey, you're not just picking them up towards the end. You're building a profile of them. You're getting to know them a little bit. And I guess from the viewer's perspective, that's almost what you want to give the viewer, that taste of what it's like to be a detective. Yeah, absolutely. And it is that build-up of the story, isn't it? It's a whole narrative. Okay, what happened to this person when they first go on the run? When did it start impacting on them? When did the stresses and the strains start to come onto them? That's what people want to see. And I did feel like Adam, I think, was one that... There was a couple wasn't there as well. There was the two lads that got caught in Scotland. Um, they were there. You were just warming up to them. And then they were caught. Yeah. And so I, I just kind of thought, well, no, I'd prefer the way it is now, where they build up that narrative for a bit longer. Yeah, you definitely do, don't you? <laughs> it just annoyed me that some of them were on day 14 and some of them were just being introduced and were on day two. So it didn't make sense sort of timeline-wise as to where everyone was and we couldn't follow it properly because they were all at different points. And then it, didn't, it then didn't make sense with the ground hunters as to where they were going. And because you'd have like Danny and Nick following someone in Scotland, but that was day 14. But then they were in the Midlands in Mansfield catching... Elizabeth and Sandra, but that was day four. Yeah. And, and that all happened in the same episode. Yeah, and then you sort of get like a bit of a weird continuity jump as well. Like obviously that the wearing the same clothes and stuff like the, the mm -hmm. HQ and, and the ground hunters do, but it just doesn't doesn't make sense. And then you've got the whole thing on the boards of we got introduced to Dr. Ricky Allen first. Yeah. And then we didn't get introduced to like the the fugitive teams that were dubbed by HQ as group two until like episode five. Yeah, there was a bit of like jumping about and it just didn't make sense to me. Like, I think the editing of it, of series one, doesn't make sense when you compare it to the rest of the series. Looking back, what would you have liked to have been involved in that first series or do you think that you've walked in and are now part of a, not necessarily better produced show in terms of what we see on screen, but a better show in terms of what the game is? Because also a big factor of series one was it wasn't about chasing the cash it was about just the power of the state it was more of a social experiment yeah i think it was much more focused on that wasn't it and what the, and what the you know the power of the state what could it do what could it achieve how could it find people no no monetary in interest whatsoever so i think there was a different focus at that point um i would have loved to have been involved in it because then i could have seen that involvement you know like mark mark canana has, has been in there uh, since since the start doug has been in, in there since the start um, I, I, there's a few others as well, isn't there? Smiley Steve. Smiley Steve, of course, Smiley Steve. Uh, all looking absolutely gorgeous and young, aren't they? Um, and they still are, of course. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, I would have loved to have been involved in it, to be honest, and, and just seeing how it changed from, from you know, the other side of things would have been amazing. When you first got approached to be on Hunted, obviously you'd already done the heist, so you knew the production company and you knew a little bit of the process. Did you then sit down and watch a few of the old episodes or oh, did you just yeah. go in blind? No, no, no. I sat down and watched the episodes because, you know, you think, well, OK, what am I doing here? And to be fair, at that point, I'd watched quite a lot of Hunted anyway because of the heist and it was Shine TV. Mm. Um, so I'd watched quite a lot of it with my wife anyway and, um, you know, and, and actually thought it'd be quite a good one to be involved in. So, But, of course, because the heist was running at the same time, never thought that would happen. Uh, and then the opportunity came up. So I, w I was in like Flint, uh, no messing about. One, you know, there, was, there was no question in my mind when they said, would you like to be involved in hunting? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be what we'd be like now. I don't, know, don't think we'd be great fugitives, though. Obviously, this particular series was filmed back in May 2015, which feels like an absolute lifetime yeah. ago. Uh, now, there was an unreleased pilot, which we're trying to... We want to get, like, Cyberdog on side so we can, like, ethically hack... The archive, so we can watch it. <laughs> uh, Kevin O'Leary was the the chief, who of course you know is the the series referee. Does a lot of the stuff off screen. Tell us a little bit more about like his involvement and how that all gets processed. Because obviously, it's powers of the state are replicated, so there is a process which yeah. has to happen before any action can happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kev. Interestingly enough, Kev was also the um, the SIO in the original pilot for the heist as well. So, and then obviously Sue Hill came in. So Kev, Kev now, you know, he's the referee. What a guy, absolutely just the right person, the right character to be a referee. Uh, you know, we do have disputes and we've all got rules because there's a lot of rules around the game that you can't sort of, you know, breach. But we do sometimes, inadvertently, of course, we never do it on purpose. Uh, and, and the people that, that we're pursuing sometimes breach the rules as well. But Kev's the right guy to make the decision about, okay, how do we put this right? How do we even... Uh, Field. He was very calm, very diplomatic, and very sensible. You can have a proper discussion with him. So, um, so that's kind of his his main role behind the scenes there. And in terms of the information, they try and make it as real as possible. So for us within Hunter headquarters, it's immersive. The systems look like police systems. The radios are like you know what you would expect from police radios. Everything is as we would expect. And we 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 have to put in. People don't believe this. We have to put in requests for, um, you know, information, like the police would. So permission to get certain things, and Kev will help with that. And he will only give us what we would get in the real world if we asked for it. Now, some of that takes a bit longer than it would normally. AMPR, don't even get me started on AMPR. It takes forever compared to what it gets, what you get in the real world. But other things, we get quicker. So it kind of balances out, really. It does balance out pretty well. It's an interesting game because obviously when it first started, we because we've watched it a couple of times now, we're looking for things which viewers won't necessarily look at. So we make notes of what fugitive numbers they were. Nobody else will care in the world about that. Um, but we also noticed that when they started doing the social media campaigns in this particular series, it wasn't Hunted HQ. It was the Search HQ. So we do wonder whether that initial series... They were almost, they'd done the pilot and gone, oh, this is all right, but let's now do a full series just to see how it plays out. So we do wonder if there's an element to that of it, because if you look at what it was then compared to what it was now, the last civilian series with Kibbs and um, Nathan and, and all of those guys, it's a very sort of different, everything from the amount of time they're on the run to how they even leave and, and start the process. So there's a lot of learning things now, but looking back at, that initial sort of setup and gameplay. 
if you were to go into Hunter Series 8, because obviously we've filmed 7, we've just not seen it yet, and you had a choice between, right, let's go back to the start and do it where they're told to leave from their houses and we get it in dribs and drabs, or they all leave, break out of a prison, for example, to use the last Celebrity Hunted one, which way would you go? Which one's more realistic in terms of a real-life investigation? Well, to be honest, the one where they, they just go. Uh, and I think I did like that about Series 1 because I think it was... Uh, was it Dr. Ricky Allen, uh, where he had a few hours um, to, to be on his toes and then the hunters would be on him. And, and that's more realistic, isn't it? Because, you know, if, if you're going to go on the run, maybe, you, you know, you've, you've committed a crime uh, that you weren't expecting when you got up that morning to, to, to commit and, and you've got to go and you're on your toes. And that's much more realistic. So I like that idea where they almost, they're going about their, their daily life and then someone comes up to them and says, uh, now, from this moment on, you're a fugitive. I mean, the panic that that must, you know, uh, make somebody feel uh, is quite interesting. Whereas I think it's much more visually appealing when they all get off a boat and go running off and, and everything. It's more visually appe appealing for the audience. But I think in terms of the psychology, I do like that idea of, right, from this moment on, you, you've got to go. And within an hour or two, the hunters will be here. What are you going to do? Look, go on. I was going to say, I think if... It was like that, so everyone was in their own homes and it was, you've got two hours, then they're going to know. But we saw everyone go at the same time. Yes. So, like, instead of it being in dribs and drabs, like, we saw bang, 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 um, and were told, like, at 12 o'clock on this day, every pair was told, you now have two hours, off you go. I think that would be better than the little drip feeding us pairs and us yeah. sort of not really thinking that they all went at the same time because it, it can seem that from that series. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, and, and I think that was one of the things with series one. You never really understood when they'd gone on the run and, and when that had kind of started. But I think if you, you sort of said that tap, tap you on the shoulder and off you go, I, 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 that did, I did like that. I did like that. But I suppose that's quite difficult as well to, to put together rather than the sort of starburst at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, and like you say, it's more visually pleasing to, yeah. to do that. And then obviously with you can build it into storylines, like, for example, Celebrity Hunter. This is why it should win a TV Choice Award, because it's the first time they've ever done a jailbreak and made it more... Like, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was the very good. The jailbreak was absolutely brilliant. I love that, because, you know, people with hunters go, well, why are they on the run anyway? Why have they been dropped at the London Eye and they've jumped off, jumped off the boat in Auckland? Well, actually, breaking out of a prison kind of sets the scene a little bit, doesn't yeah. it? It does set the scene. And so, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was a good, a really, really good start to a series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's put you in the shoes of The Fugitives for a second. You've just been told that you've got an hour to uh, go on the run and disappear. What does Ray do? What does Ray Howard do? What processes does he take? Okay, well, the reality is, come on, you're going to get caught. Okay, you're going to get caught. There's only one option for you, really, and you've got to get out of the country. You've got to get out of the country quick. So before anyone's onto you, you've got to get you've got to get gone. You've got to get your passport and get gone. Otherwise, you're going to get caught. Now, obviously, on hunted, we're time restricted. So um, you know, and and that's a key key factor of what makes it entertaining because you know it's a matter of weeks to catch someone. Actually, in reality, the police they've got months, months and months. Now, obviously, it depends how many resources they put into finding you as to how quickly you get caught. But we saw it, didn't we, with um, with the prison breaker and Daniel Khalif. How quickly did he get caught? Yeah. Because there's lots of resources put into that. Uh, so if it were me, 
I'd be heading for a port. It would be high risk because if there's an all ports warning on, I'm going to get caught straight away. But the reality would be if I can't get out of the country, and I'm going to get caught at some point anyway. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair point. And in terms of the movements which people made early doors, we saw a, a bit of it, but as the series went on, we just sort of like picked them up nine days in or whatever, which was annoying because yeah. we wanted to see those processes. But of the ones that we did see, you, you sort of see, I think Ricky Allen in particular is the, the standout one. He knows that he's got to get an untraceable vehicle. Lauren and Emily sort of like get lifts and sort of hitchhike the, the way around. What is the most, what did you feel watching it was the most sensible approach to take? That Ricky did or, or across the board? Across the board. Uh, it was two lads on the bike, wasn't it? Was it Martin and... Um, Stephen and Martin. Stephen yeah. and Martin. Stephen and Martin. I thought they did a fantastic job, actually, uh, and, and were the most worthy winners from what I saw there. You know, they did a lot of time out uh, in the countryside. They were on the bikes, which obviously are very, very difficult to track. Um, and, I, and I like them as characters as well. So for me, in Series 1, they were the kind of the standouts in terms of doing the right thing. Uh, some of the others did some really dodgy stuff <laughs> and didn't get caught, you know, uh, particularly Emily. You know, visiting. She was so lucky. So lucky. So lucky visiting, you know, Ernest, wasn't it? Yeah. Bless yeah. him. He's probably, what, five or six now, so years yeah. old. Uh, no, older. No, maybe eight or nine. Be eight yeah. or nine, bless him, yeah. yeah. So he was a little bubby at the time, wasn't he? So she, I think Emily was actually quite... Lucky. Lauren, I thought, did a good job out on her own. Um, but for me, Steve and um, Martin, yeah, they did it right. Yeah. Let's delve into um, a few more things of how the show was set up before we do anything else. Um, we'll come back to the extraction later. Um, in terms of the ground team, just to remind, there was only um, four ground teams that were put out. They had resources from elsewhere, so they could use covert agents and things like that. But just the four ground teams. Obviously, there's a few more now, um, maybe on rotation a little bit and none out there, but obviously Mark was one of them. Paul Cashmore as well, still in it. He was paired with a Bex Mason, but not our Bex Mason, not the current Bex Mason, which we have to keep pointing out. Um, one thing we did know about Cashmore was when he came on the podcast a few months ago, he revealed that actually he wasn't first approached to be a hunter. Oh. He was first approached to be a fugitive. Oh, yes, I remember hearing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he would have been a great fugitive, no doubt. Yeah, so it makes you, it does make you wonder that, like, what were they looking for initially? Because we remember, like, when we, one of the first interviews we did was with Steve Cottam, who was in this series, and he was telling us that he was, like, approached on LinkedIn and, found out all the producer's information and sort of got on the team that way. But we do wonder whether there was a little part of it where when they were first toying with the idea of whether they were looking for, like, ex-police, ex-military to go on the run. It, so it was like like versus like rather yeah. than hunter mm -hmm. versus fugitive. That would have been a different show entirely, but still quite gripping to watch. But I guess the more experience you've got within that sector, the harder it's going to be to capture you. Yeah, it would be. Um However, things move on quite quickly, particularly on the digital, um, you know, investigation side of things. And I think unless you're right up to speed with what the cyber team can do and that sort of thing, you can still fall foul, I think, however experienced you are. I would have liked to have seen Cashy on the run, though. I think he'd have been good. Uh, uh, but, but I'd like to see him look a bit dishevelled as well because the man's just so sickeningly handsome, isn't he? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? He's just smouldering away there, isn't he, in the corner? You're like, come on, give it a rest, mate. Give the rest of us a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Mark Kalanar was one of the, the initial grant team as well. Now you've worked with Mark. Yeah. Um, you, um, both in two different ways, really. You've obviously worked with him 
on the ground. He's part of the ground team for the next Leb Hunted, which everyone knows because they've seen the pictures on social media and stuff. Um, but also you've worked with him as a fellow deputy. Yeah. So how does his skill set transfer between the two? Oh, well, it's, I mean, it's really, really good to have him in, in the headquarters because he knows exactly what it's like on the ground. Uh, and he, you know, he's got that relationship with the, with the ground hunters. And Mark, do you know what? The thing with Mark is he's bordering on the blooming genius sometimes. He's absolutely all over it. Uh, and when he, when he says something, uh, sometimes you, could, you can sort of look at him sideways and think, where did that come from? But I tell you what, you've got to listen to him because he is bordering on the genius when he comes up with some stuff. And he's very, very competitive. So uh, you'd, you'd want to double Mark up and have Mark on the ground and Mark in headquarters. You know, if we, if we could do that, if, if, we, if we could make a clone of Mark, we'd have him in both places, I think. I guess in Series 1, though, you could be you could do both because we did see a lot, and we still do in Series 2, actually. Dave um, and Julie. Yeah, Dave and Julie in particular, who are almost like your equals, really. Yeah. Um, they go out a lot. There's a little bit of you that, that's now watched it that might be just like send a little email to Shine saying, come on. Craig, every time, <laughs> every single time, I say to them, can I go out <laughs> can, can, can I go out, please? Um, and they say to me, well, Ray, yeah, well, the opportunity might arise. Uh, and I have been out once. I've been out once. Unfortunately, it was edited out. Oh. I know, I know. So I went out uh, when we were looking for the lock locks. Uh, ah, the first, your first. The first series, one, yeah. yeah. So I went and I interviewed Olivia Bentley. So I got into a black cab, went across London, interviewed Olivia Bentley, who was absolutely lovely and told me lots and lots of stuff that she probably shouldn't have told me about the lock locks. But we'd found it out through another process anyway so it was all too long a, a sort of scene to have me going out and, and speaking to Olivia uh, so it completely got cut but that's the only time we've gone out but every single time I say please please can I go out because it's hard work being in that office environment for sort of 14 hours a day yeah um, and getting out is is something that we all want <laughs> from time to time very envious then of Dave and Judy when they went out and, uh, and things went like out that. all the yeah. time oh, Ben went out a lot didn't he in fact Ben didn't he he, he caught Ricky didn't he yes. Ricky yeah. Allen on, yeah. the, on the train station and I saw another one I can't remember which series it was but there was a shopping centre one that Ben went out uh, and made a capture as well in one yeah. of the other series Two or three, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. We will yeah. watch it back and we will come. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. So they, they were happy days, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think that's all we've got in terms of like the setup. Obviously, uh, all HQ get is um, a name, a date of birth, a home address, and a photo to go off. What's the process then? If you're given someone's name, address, photo, and date of birth, what's the first thing that you would do as an investigator to try and? find out as much as you can the first thing is what do we know on our intelligence systems is there anything internally that we know that can add to the picture then we start looking at open source and it's just really about building that profile that individual profile but you start with the individual profile and then the key thing is you start building out so it's like a, you, your, your fugitive is the spider uh, in the middle of the web uh, but then you start moving out and seeing who else is in their um, sort of network and that, and then you get a picture. So what? So it will go through open source and the researchers, and it will go to the analysts. And by the end of that process, we know absolutely everything. And of course, by this time also, we've usually got their phones, uh, and then um, cyber are going to be all over that. And do you know what? Your phone probably knows more about you than your wife does. Was that? <laughs> would, would you say that that's your, probably your biggest? 
desire to get first and foremost as soon as you've got the name and, and the info right get the phone is that would, would you say that's probably the biggest key uh, not really. It can vary dependent on, you know, if you've got somebody and you're looking for a fugitive in the real world, there's, they've normally got a history. They've normally got quite a history with the police. And so that's your starting point. And that, when you start looking at friends, family and associates, that is probably more key. However, because on Hunted, these aren't people with a history. So, you know, there's limited information coming in. What we're getting from open source and cyber, absolutely massive. That paints the picture much more than it would say in, you know, uh, where you're looking for a criminal. Because these aren't criminals, are they? That's the thing. Which is a benefit to them sometimes. But also, you know, not, they don't necessarily uh, have that street smarts that maybe a criminal would have. But at the same time, they get a lot of help that a criminal probably wouldn't get. Mm. It's also amazing to see, actually, with some people that they have got a few friends who could be like Dodgy Kev or Dodgy Julie or, you know, yeah. the sort of characters that can get you what you need. I'm thinking in, in particular Ricky Allen's case because... He asked a friend, doesn't he, what car have you got? If I want, if possible, I need to I'll burn it out. And yeah. He just it produces the a car straight away, doesn't he? Yeah, I've got something for you, mate. I've got there just the go. thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, wait till you see the next celebrity one, which obviously hasn't aired yet. There's some dodgy goings on in that one, I tell you. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to put my money's on Duncan from Blue. <laughs> I, can't, I cannot wait for that to go out because it, people will stop listening to this podcast because I will have numerous blue gags. <laughs> Not blue guys, but it's about blue. He's already started them. Yeah. He's already started thinking what he can do. Yeah, he's like, you see me wait, you're on the sofa. He's like, what are you like? Oh, then you just go, oh, you listen. To, uh, you can hear blue playing. You're thinking, <laughs> oh, God, he's plotting. <laughs> he's plotting. Shall we go back to the start, shall we? Go on, right, then. so we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going like, to sort of whiz through the, the fugitives. We're going to have a look at some of our notes, some of your notes, and sort of have a look at what they want. Shall we go with, I'm going to put it entirely on you. Do you want to go with someone who was. A game, top grade, a.k.a. Stephen and Martin, Lauren and Emily, who managed to go all the way? Or do you want to start off with one who would fall into the dipshit category, the, one who, the ones who didn't last very long and uh, were, were out of the game before they'd even started? Uh, well, I'm, I'm entirely happy with whatever you want to do. Where do you want to go first? Should we get, should we get our favourite, like, our first capture? Yeah. Out of the way. Yeah. So Straight yes. away. Two ladies, wasn't it? Yes. yes. Sandra and Elizabeth, um, married couple. First capture we see on screen, captured in Mansfield, which is obviously why we like it. <laughs> we've walked past it numerous times. And yep. it's just it's just surreal to see it sometimes. What did you make of these two? Because their journey was entirely by bus. Yes. And I guess they sort of just drove themselves into a bit of a one-way one way street, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, down, down a dead end road, didn't they? And obviously, the first capture ever on Hunted, um, you know, Danny and Nicola doing a, a great job there. And yeah, you don't, public transport you can get away with for a limited period of time, but it will be picked up, uh, be picked up relatively quickly. So I think if you're going to go on public transport, you get on it, you make a short journey, and then you get off it. It can be very, very dodgy. Um, so I, I think that was the basic mistake they made. And uh, quite a sort of low-key capture, really, wasn't it? Mm. Compared to what, what we see now. very They almost seem completely unprepared for it. They all were, I think, yeah. in, in the first series. It's only really until later on in the series when sort of Ben goes out that you get a more of a process. Like now, there are established rules that you've got to have hands-on, you've been hunted, your time on the run is over, and yeah. it's that line which game's over. But Danny has got a book out, so she's written a yes. book about her career, and there's a lovely chapter in there um, about Hunted, and she reveals a few things that that capture didn't quite go as smoothly as planned. Oh, right, okay. So who was it that 
Do you remember which one of the two started fighting with, with Nick? Was it Sandra? I can't remember, but she got really, really, really angry. Which you see a little bit on screen, actually. Yeah, she got really angry. But then when they were in the back, was it when they were in the car? Yes, going to the hotel, yeah. She started, like, getting even worse and shouting stuff at them. Oh, really? Um, and I think it w was it Nick that was driving and she just sort of kept putting her foot a bit bit too hard on the brake. Yeah, a little short brake. Yeah. A little short brake. Um, but it sort of seemed like they weren't expecting to get caught. Like none of them in the series that get caught, like they know they know that that's an aspect of it, but it's like they forget that they they could get caught. Yeah, and that whole thing of the, the mantra one, like she sort of fights against her and, uh, you know, she doesn't stop and she sort of refuses to believe it. I guess that once you've been in something for a, an amount of time, it does sort of become, that life becomes the norm a little bit and you do forget... There's a game, but I don't know why you can forget when you've got a camera crew. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think people get very, very competitive about it, don't they? As we do as well. And so, you know, it's quite upsetting to find you think you're going to make it to the end, but you get caught quite quickly. And I can understand why people will be upset by that. But, you know, it, that, that's part of the game, isn't it? And you could get caught very, very quickly. I think the quickest was probably on the first day, wasn't it? Or the second day. Yeah. It was the old fella down in the southwest, wasn't it? On the Merv? Was it Merv? And there was. Um What's her name? Something like oh, Charlene or Carleen Crow. Carleen. She got caught on the first day because right. she got on a bus to somewhere and then got back on another bus, on. put a wig on, got on another bus and sort of circled back on herself back to London and got caught literally as she stepped off the bus. Yeah. And, and that's the reality, isn't it, if you're going to go on the run? And people think it's easy, but it's not easy at all. And, you know, if someone's focusing on, on you and putting resources into you... And that, that can make a big difference, actually, as well, as to who wins. Because if you... It's not always the... I, should, I don't know what I should say, really, on this, but it's not always the best person that wins. Sometimes the people who play the game really, really well take up so much of our time... Yeah. yeah. ..that actually, whilst we might catch them, they've, they've, they've created the space for somebody perhaps we were less worried about See, I to think, actually go on and win. I think you've hit the nail on the head because... and especially Whether it's because it was edited in this way, I don't know, but in the first two, three episodes... It's almost a Ricky Allen show. It is. Yeah. It really is. And we, I do like it because I think if it wasn't for Ricky's run, and feel free to disagree, I don't think we'd have a show. I think he really made the show in terms of what he did and the processes that, that he took, you know, luring Mark and the team up to the Bothy in Scotland and having the, the burner car and sort of really staying off. It's only because of two slight mistakes that mm. he gets caught. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, he, he gets a lift from his friend whose car's being tracked rather than hitchhiking. Because if he'd have done that, they wouldn't have got him to the coach station. Yeah. And then when he gets on the train, he says, I, w I should have got off at Milton Keynes. But he stays on. And if he got off at Milton Keynes, he'd still be on the run. And I think if it wasn't for him and the way he was and the, the way he really, like you said, captured HQ's attention so much... Those people like Lauren and Emily who were making so many mistakes in their early days by calling home went under the carpet because they were just focused on yeah. Ricky. Yeah, and, and that's happened in a number of series that I've been working on where we've just been focused on somebody because we know we're so close to them and we think we can just reach out and put Speakmans. in that little bit of effort. The Speakmans are massive. Look, so, bloody Speakmans. That's bloody Speakmans. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, and I, I was quite rude about the Speakmans, but they're actually lovely, <laughs> lovely people. Yes, they are. Um, but you, in the moment, you know, because we, we were following the Speakmans, for example, for absolutely ages on 
around motorways. I mean, it didn't make the edit because obviously it's not that interesting. But it was literally all day, but we couldn't quite get that final um, sort of sprint to get up to them. Uh, and you know, this was quite sort of halfway through the run, I think, and they'd gone all around the M25 and we hadn't been able to catch them. And that was the frustration coming out. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, ah, because, you know, we're, they're taking up so much of our time and still got away. And they did a fantastic job. And they certainly made the space. I mean, nobody won that series, did they? But mm. they certainly made the space for others to to move on, definitely. It's good to see that those parallels are still there because I definitely think that that was the case with Ricky, early doors. They, yeah. They put a lot of resource into him. And, if you think, and he was like, good. Yeah, and if you think about, like, the number of ground teams that I have now, I mean, we've got a photo there which JP and Bex gave us last time of mm. the ground team from the next Celebrity Hunt, and it's a much bigger team than what it was and if you think that even if you take two of your hunter teams up to scotland and you've got 10 fugitives still in the game you've essentially got all of these fugitives that aren't being chased because yeah. there's nobody to physically chase them yeah. there's nobody to do the groundwork and look for them so they're almost getting away scot-free i mean you see it with freddie and jackie that's probably the best place to go next actually they get captured by sheer accident and if they weren't looking for someone else who knows what? Would have oh, I know. With them. A complete accident, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. An absolute accident. The pure luck. Yeah. But luck goes both ways, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Luck yeah. goes both ways. I mean, you know, the one I would very similar to that, the Vivian and Chloe, were yeah. caught by accident, really. And I was in the loo when they got caught, and I, <laughs> I had the radio on me, and I had to rush through and run back into the into the uh, headquarters, and uh, with my belt hanging off and my trousers, <laughs> because it had come as such a shock, because. It, nothing, we weren't building up to that at all. You know, we weren't hot on anyone's tail. But at that time, we were filling up all the time. There was a petrol shortage at the time, like mm. a fuel shortage. So the hunters were filling up every time. And then Carl and Mel drive in to to fill up. And there was Carl and Mel, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then um, there they are. And then what's the chances of that? And they were actually looking for Ewan at the time. Uh, so the same, you know, with the, with the caravan. Um, but, yeah, Ricky, I think... I mean, he kind of was the first three episodes, wasn't he, really? Yeah, he, he played a very heavy part. I think all of our notes, because we tend to... I mean, we both do our notes in different ways. So, you explain how you do your notes whilst um, I get my notes. Okay, out. so I do mine as each pair comes up. Mm. So, obviously, because Ricky was the first person we saw, he was number one for me. And then Emily and Lauren were number two. But then we went back to Ricky, so I go through my notes in order of what happened but separate it into pairs. So, like, it's each person, but I'm going in time. As it plays out in the yeah. show. As it plays out, yeah. that's what my notes say. Whereas mine, I literally do a page on each fugitive and then just, like, leave a bit of a gap. So, like, it's very, like, you look at episode three, is in every single part of the show. Like, episode two is, is in, like, part two and three, and he takes up a lot of the time. And it is, like you say, it is dominated yeah. by him. And, and it's all resources. You're putting yeah. resources into Dr. Ricky Allen. You're not putting resources elsewhere. And they're limited, less resources then than now. Yeah. Mm, yeah, really are. And that's probably, maybe it actually like explains why we don't see much of the others. Because in those early days of an investigation, let's not forget at this point as well, they had no idea what this show was going to be. It's a lot easier now for the edit team because they've worked on it for so many years. Yeah. They know how it plays out. They know how to storyboard it. This was just an idea. Yeah. This was just a concept which nobody really knew yeah. how it was going to play out. So I guess if they are following Ricky and they've got a lot of this film footage of him, then it, it's bound to. And you've, you, you know, you just 
it's how it ends up, isn't it? Yeah, I think the first series was probably more about the tactics that could be deployed mm. and probably a bit more about the hunters, actually, than it is now. Yeah. Um, and they hadn't really developed the idea that actually what people are interested in are the people being hunted. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're the characters, aren't they? And I think that that's now better developed and you can invest in your your, your favourite fugitives. Mm. Mm. And and cry when they get caught and celebrate when they, when, when they when they win on the occasion they do. I think that's probably a fair point, isn't it, to yeah. talk about for a minute the fact that you know fugitives now are given a lot more airtime and it was mm. more focused on the battle of the state. So it's no real surprise, is it, that we we maybe got that and maybe when we were watching it back and we were sort of getting frustrated at the the lack of continuity and then popping up in episode five, maybe that's just how they had to do it in the end. Maybe. Possibly, but it is still annoying. <laughs> I knew you'd find it. Like still I'm, not, I'm not. I'm never going to get past that. That it. That it just doesn't make sense. So we've ticked off um, Dr. Ricky Allen to a degree. Let's stay with him for a while because obviously we know like his journey is, is is quite a while. Let's talk a little bit about his capture. So just remind us what Ricky Allen got up to in a, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. Uh, this is almost like this is an unrehearsed sixty-second review. Ish. Ish. <laughs> um, I know you missed them. <laughs> Ricky Allen um, got a car off his friend that he could burn out, took himself to Scotland, hid away in Scotland. He used his dashboard as his toothbrush holder. Um, we had money left at a yellow digger. He used friends to get money out for him. He tricked the hunters into going to a bothy. Um, oh, phoned home to wish them happy birthday. From a phone box, though. From a phone box. He loved a phone box, did Ricky He Allen. did love a phone box. struggle now. Mind but you, you did find... Can you remember how many they were in the UK? No, you can't. No, but there's still like... A, it's something like... There's still something like 20,000 that are still in operation. Um, and you can buy the red ones yeah, for a pound. Yeah. Yes, that's what I found. Well, people made little greenhouses out of them. Yeah, and like book like swaps. libraries, yeah. coffee shops. <laughs> <laughs> what else did Ricky do? Oh, he had a mobile because he tricked the hunters with it. Um, he then used a friend, got on a train, should have got off at Milton Keynes, didn't, got off at London, was captured by Ben. Watching it back, was he the... Like, if you were to put your detective head on for a second and put yourself in the shoes of um, Brett, Blex, Ben and, and the HQ team, would he be the one who would frustrate you the most? Yeah, and he he's kind of a bit anti-establishment, isn't he, Doctor Ricky? And he sort of came across that way. So yeah, I think he was they... very outspoken. He was. I think he had a lot of like articles in the press and stuff about um, the so government and the NHS and his views. He was very outspoken. Yeah, so I guess they probably maybe had a little bit of a target painted on him. I don't know, but it, I think I think Doctor Ricky Allen would be certainly up there, and I think he did make the space for others. However, I still would go back to Steve and Martin. I thought they were. I thought they were clever. I think the whole bike thing was was very shrewd. And of course, Dr. Ricky Allen, he did brilliantly right until the point that he didn't. <laughs> when, he, when he stayed on when he stayed on he stayed on that train. So, you know, uh ultimately, um I I, I think he was good, but I, I, I don't know because I've not spoken to anybody about that first series other than Mark in sort of general terms. But from headquarters, I think probably Doctor Dr. Rick sorry, Probably Dr. Ricky Allen was a little bit of a frustration for them. And I guess the thing with um, him as well is the fact that, you know, he has got that little target on his back and producers, I think, 
we're sitting here as fans of the show saying that he made the show and that's exactly what they would have wanted. They would have wanted a character yeah. like that. It's like when we were saying before about potentially having Cashmore as a fugitive and they want that sort of story. So it maybe played up to that a little bit. Let's touch upon Stephen and Martin then because you yeah. um, were a, a big fan of them. Before we do though, I think one thing that you have said about them and one thing I've been thinking about a lot recently when we've been reflecting on the episodes is the fact that there's not a lot of movement from from people. The ones that get captured don't move around a lot. Obviously, mm. there are rules in place now where you can't stay somewhere for longer than X amount of time. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the others, Ricky goes up to Scotland, stays there for like two weeks in, in the Highlands and then gets a train back and gets caught. You look at Adam, Adam Young, who um, essentially stayed in West Witten for like two weeks and yeah. didn't leave a tip in a, in a pub and got caught. Um, Davinda and Harinda, they stayed in one place with friends for a while, then moved on and then would stay with friends and got caught that way. Elizabeth and Sandra, a little bit different because they did move around, but they did want things so one-dimensional, like you say, one-way dead-end street. And then Freddie and Jackie... All we saw of them was in a caravan in Caestron Sea. So it's almost <laughs> like they went on a mini holiday. So <laughs> I do feel like there was a lack of movement in this series. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Felt I, that. It, it may be that s- some things happened that we didn't see, um, some of the movements around. I don't, I don't think staying in one place is necessarily a formula to win. Um, I think you've got to be quite shrewd about it. And, you know, we see people like, yeah, I think Sarah Kibble moved quite a lot. She went up to Scotland as well and various places and did very, very well. So I, I, I don't think I would say to people, oh, you know, the formula to win is not to move too much. I think it's to move at the right time and um, to the right place. Now, that could be a fairly short distance. Um, but the danger you've got is if we think you're in a general area, we will send hunters there. You know, once we get that sniff, we'll send hunters there. And and then if we get a little bit more, then they will zero in on you. So it, it, I think it's quite high risk staying in too short, too small an area for too long. Sc- Scotland is always a bit of a nightmare, though. Scotland is always a bit of a nightmare because we don't really want to go that far north. <laughs> it pulls us up and leaves us a long way from anywhere else. And you, I think you'll notice, and I think Mark Cannon has said this to me once, um, very few people go further than Inverness because that traps them. Yeah, In terms of the transport hubs, etc., once you get beyond Inverness, you're in big problems, especially if you've got to head back to a cent- you know, pick-up point or something south, mm. and actually your transport's really, really do- dodgy. So um, we try and keep south of Inverness whenever we possibly can, but of course we've seen people go there and go along the lock and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, Sc- Scotland is a nuisance. Stephen and Martin, you said that they're essentially your favourite pair. What makes them so great, other than the the fact that they stuck to... They basically just stuck off grid. I think if you can get a bit of transport, Ricky Allen gets the car and that's hidden for X amount of time, but it's always going to come up at some point. Yeah. Whereas they stick to places where there are no cameras, they use their skills to get themselves a bike. They almost do become the, the living nightmare, don't they? Yeah, they do, because they go rural, don't they? They go off-grid. They're not moving in any vehicles that we can easily track or, or discover. They weren't using friends' vehicles. They, they, they did, as far as it, as it was possible within the time they had, they did go off-grid, off and, and that's the hardest thing when people go rural. Um, although, I've got to say, you know, if you think about it now and, and think about Ricky Allen, uh, things have moved on, haven't they? So the whole thing with the boffy, now the chances are we'd have probably had a drone with infrared now, mm. 
up near that boffy. So, you know, you can look at that and say, well, okay, I'm going to do a Dr. Ricky Allen. I'm going to take the mickey out of the hunters and watch them from the tree line. Great, that worked in series one. I don't think it would work now because the chances are you would have, you know, some coverage and you'll be hiding in the trees and actually we'll pick you up on a drone and come and get you. I'd never thought about that. No, me neither. It's, that is one of those things, actually, where we talk about the things that they use mm. and technology and, thi- and things like that. It has moved on yeah. so, so much. Actually, yeah, he, he prob- Ricky Allen would have been, if he was in today's series... If he got caught? A lot quicker. Yeah. If he did the same things. Yeah, if he of did... Of course, every, it gets hard because everyone's watched the previous series. If you're on yeah. it as a competitor, then you're going to watch the previous series and see how yeah. people get caught, aren't you? So, you know, and we've got, uh, you know, Jason, who does, who does the drones, and Paul Cashmore has got... A drone as well, and is, is, a, is a pilot, so that that kind of can double up our options. And um, you know, the the drone uh, coverage and the, the the stuff that Jason does is amazing, absolutely amazing. We often see the footage of that very soon after, you know, in headquarters. The footage comes back, and we know it's going to be in the show, but we get to see it, uh, you know, ahead of time. And you know, what he can do with that drone is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute game-changer in terms yeah. of detecting and catching a fugitive. So, again, something which you don't quite think about when, you, when you're watching it back, which is quite interesting. With Stephen and Martin, one thing which did stand out for me, um, obviously Martin's an IT expert. He works in IT. They take a laptop with him, along with the whiskey and the chocolate. Have you got the whiskey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whiskey and the chocolate. Take that yeah. one every week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so they have that, but he has this little notebook, uh, little netbook laptop, which he takes with him everywhere, uses VPNs and Skype to Skype to try and contact home. Would that work, or would the cyber team be quite onto that quite quickly now? Do you think that would still work? Because back then, I don't think VPNs were, were as... A little bit like the the whole drone thing, they weren't as common commonly known. Whereas now, there's a lot of press and a lot of like advertising around actually people using VPNs to protect themselves from cyber attacks in terms of their home computer and stuff. Yeah. The, the laptop I'm using now yeah. connected to a VPN. Yeah, I think there are um, there are still things you can do to avoid being caught. And, and so obviously that was quite clever. Um, it was Martin, wasn't it, that had the expertise and you can still do that. However, I think the cyber team, um, I'm sure they're absolutely 100% moving with the times now. The reality is, in terms of that question, I can't answer it because do you know what I do normally? I'd, I'd go along to Doug and say, <laughs> Doug or Paul and say, what can we do? Because, you know, they know so much more than me. But I, I think it's very, very high risk. Um, but... I think if you do know what you're doing, there are ways of avoiding detection by sending messages, which I won't speak about in public. But there are I, I, there are ways of, of doing it. Yeah, there certainly are. And then obviously they they managed to get to extraction and uh, and basically win the show along with Lauren and Emily. Um, I guess it came as no surprise to you that they managed to get there, considering the, the movements which which they took and. I imagine if they were in like the current series and you were chasing them down, they'd be the ones where you were so frustrated because of the moves they'd taken. It was almost like an easy win for them. Yeah, they did. As I say, I think they did very, very well, and I think that they were the. Uh, you've got to be fortunate to win hunted. You, you, I don't think you can do it without having some good fortune. Um, however good you you play the game, there's going to be some good fortune. But they probably had the le- the least. They had the need of the least fortune, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, whereas I think 
Emily had quite a lot of fortune. Lauren, not so. I think Lauren did a very good job, actually, especially once they got split up. Um, she kind of kept her head down and just kind of, you know, drove on, didn't she? I, thought, I, was, I was quite impressed with, with what she did on her own because I thought they might break once they split up. I thought that would... Because it can do. You know, when people split up, it can really have a detrimental effect. Um, but I they th- kept going. Yeah, I think what you actually say about Lauren is spot on because... We see, don't we, in those early episodes that Lauren is getting so annoyed at, oh, at yeah. Emily that actually splitting off from her is probably the best thing that could happen to Lauren. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can see like that she's starting to get every time that Emily phones a mum or her baby's dad, you can see that Lauren is getting more and more annoyed by it. And the fact that she's repeatedly having to say, Why have you done that? Why have you done that now when we're leaving tomorrow? She's sort of not thinking it through it's more just i need to find out where they are yeah and i think yeah once lauren is away from that we don't see her much on screen after that no, we don't. um but we we do sort of see that she you know she's just got her head down and got on with it and i think with lauren and emily i was frustrated that these two got to a, a extraction but mainly that's due to like what they did in the early episodes where you know she was so erratic phoning home all the time and really really struggling and things like that but actually, when you evaluate it and when you strip it back, you have to give them Emily immense credit mm. for what she did. In one of the days when she went back to see Ernest, she knew it was a massive, massive yeah. risk, but she couldn't, she had to do it. Um, but she went essentially, what it was, 200 miles um, and um, 15, 15 pounds. pounds 15 yeah, pounds. that's right. Yeah. And you mentioned about like dodgy, in inverted commas ways of doing it but she's like she hitchhiked she went as a stowaway she changed her appearance that's almost what you you need to do isn't it yeah yeah no absolutely and i liked emily as a character but i do think the the visit to Ernest, the way that, and you know hitchhiking is quite high risk actually you don't know who's going to pick you up you don't know who's going to see you at the side of the road um so it can be quite high risk and all we need is an index number a registration number of a vehicle you got into and you know we're going to be on it quite quickly uh, the calls i think she was making calls quite late on as well right late on so uh, she's quite an emotional person, I, I, I thought as well, especially being away from Ernest, and that, that was obviously having a big impact on her. I think the thing with Emily is she was definitely, uh, you know, an engaging character. Um, but I do think still, and I've said it before, I still think she was lucky. Whereas I didn't see Lauren, we didn't see so much of her on the screen, I think maybe because she was just keeping her head down. Um, so it probably wasn't so interesting, perhaps, but I think she was a more worthy victor. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd go along with that. Um, the only others that we've not covered so far, Adam and Emma Channel, who we saw in episode five, and that was it. Um, who yeah, were, that was the problem, yeah. wasn't it? As Nat says, that's like, um, well, who are these people? You know, they're in, yeah. introduced in episode five, and you're thinking, oh, okay, uh, this might be interesting, although it's quite late, late on. Um, and it starts to get interesting, and then they're caught. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, that was so laughable as well, because... Almost similar to um, Lauren and Emily and, and Ricky Allen and Stephen and Martin, they did have a, a decent storyline. Obviously, mm. you had the underlying thing that she thought she might be pregnant, which, of course, it turned out to be true that sh- yeah. she was. Um, they had lived a city life and that you know, they were newly married and, and all of that. And the things that they, they did was quite interesting. But I don't know about you, but I wanted to see more of that. I wanted I to see, that, see yeah. it stretched across. Exactly it. right. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to know more about them and what they'd been doing in more detail on the run, what the impact was, because I think it was quite a lot of 
emotional uh, impact going on. There was some falling out, wasn't there, which is always very interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, a very close couple, but the pressure was starting to, to tell. I'd like to have seen more of that, and then, bang, they were gone. And it was a bit of a shame, really. Yeah, and I think, like, if you look at it now, you, you sort of... You, there was a couple in the, the last series who were from Sheffield who got, who got caught on a, a walking trail... Um, and, you know, you sort of see them arguing a little bit, and you do get to know a little bit more about them. I just feel like there was so much more which Adam and Emma did, which we completely didn't see because they just railroaded them into an episode, into, like, essentially three parts of an episode. Yeah, exactly. They had a, such a big journey. Well, yeah, because we never saw how they got to where they were hiking or how they got from there back to London. We didn't get to see, like the decision-making process of, oh, we're going to go back to London and we're going to go and see our friends or we're going to send a postcard or we're going to do this. There was no... We didn't get to see any of the decisions. The only thing that we got to see was them trying to find a hotel, couldn't find it, went back to the creepy campsite. Yeah, having an argument, having a little bicker. I'm yeah. done, I'm not deciding, you decide, whatever. Yeah, whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm bored with it. And then going to the mate's house and, yeah. and getting caught. It's such a... I think just such a shame that it happened like that. And then almost with Adam Young as well, because he was um, caught and he was just in one episode. He was the other solo fugitives. But again, there was such a story behind him that you wanted to invest more in. Yeah. And I think that's what they've learned, isn't it, as they've gone through? Because I think that first series, as we said, was very much about, well, can you evade the state? And what are the powers of the state? And there was much more of that. And I think then they thought, actually, people enjoy this because they like seeing what the people do, what the pressures are on them. And so that narrative, I think, is far, far more uh, of what you'll see on, on Hunted now. Um, and that's not to criticise it, really. I mean, hey, without the original series, we've had no more. Mm. Um, but I think you can see that they were finding their feet as to exactly what this show was. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's changed, I think. It, not beyond recognition, that's not true. But lots of it are very, very similar. Um, but, there, but there have been some big changes. I think it's evolved rather than changed. I think yeah, it's just grown, point, grown yeah. with the times and yeah. just they've learnt from little things which they did. On that point then, other than the obvious, which we talked about at the start, which was people going at different, at different points and you, rather than all going as a starburst together, what one element, looking back on series one, would you want to take? If they said to you, right, Ray, we want you all to contribute ideas into the next series, what would you want to take from series one into the current show, which we see now. It can be absolutely anything. It can be uh, a process which HQ used. It can be the fact they go out. It can be an investigative process. Anything from series one which really what? jumps out and think, actually, that would be a real weapon in my armory as a deputy. I think for me, uh, I would like to see more headquarters going out. That's purely selfish. <laughs> Purely selfish. <laughs> Although we have had examples of that recently, and I know Giles and, and, and Daisy got out on a recent uh, recent series. So, so it does happen, but I just think, particularly when people are in London, and maybe the Hunter crews are, you know, they can be 150, 200 miles away, well, turf me out. I can still run. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a go. <laughs> Why not? That's the yeah. best thing for it. Um, let's talk extraction then. Obviously... This is a bit of a bookware of yours, isn't it? I know you, you, you sometimes aren't just, a fan of the way... It's just the fact that... I guess... I get that it's probably easier, but it's just the fact that it's always pretty much a helicopter or we've had a plane a few times. It's always air when, you know, we've said before there are 
different ways that you could probably use. I love the concept of it, though. And in this series in particular, they do talk about the concept a little bit more. Black sort of says it almost in passing, but the, the emphasis is there that if you were a real fugitive, like you said at the very start, what you want to do is get out of the bloody country. Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing, the whole point of, of this extraction. You win this particular game if you get out of the country. And they said that you are not safe and you've not won the game until the plane is in the air, which yeah. is different now. Once you're on the plane, it's done. But um, when the plane's is in it? the air... Is that right? I think so. I think that's what it was in the last couple. I might be wrong, but... Um, I don't know. Was, I'm sure there was something that somebody either said on social media or in an interview somewhere. I vaguely remember some comment about once they're on the plane, we can't touch them. Okay. So that it was more. I think I'm, I'm not might, sure that's what I've been told, but I don't know. I might probably. Yeah. Right. You'll know more than us because well, I don't, you're I don't on the show. They tell me all sorts of things. It doesn't <laughs> mean I remember them. <laughs> I think it might have been what something JP mentioned. <laughs> it might have been more about the way that Bobby Siegel was captured. The fact that they could block the plane off, but if it had got on, they couldn't get him or something. I, I don't know. I might be might be wrong. I might be making it up. But yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe it changes from time to time. I don't know. But um, Bob, Bobby, that was hilarious. Going yeah. to he was never going to get to that plane. I thought. And then <laughs> they got there, um, and I, you know, he would have. It would have been amazing if he got past them. Yeah, it would. Plane. Well, it was exciting to see. Yeah, but my money was never on Bobby, and he's a good runner, mm. and I think he's a. He's a. You know, he's very uh, quick, uh, and I th but he was never going to get past them. No, he wasn't. They were, they, were, they were too big and too. We'll talk more about that uh, in another episode for sure. Um, but in terms of this extraction and the way it was done, the chief got the information sort of 48 hours before. Yeah. And then does that then change your whole process? Because for a long time, you've been chasing tails, whereas now you know that their mindset's going to change. Your mindset is also going to change from a an extraction absolutely. point of view. And it's 24 hours now. So you get 24 hours, and so you know this is it. This is game on. Now, of course, you do get some notification of where that information was uh, passed to them, so where they would yeah. have been. Which we didn't see in this series. We didn't get that. We didn't actually get the fugitives that receiving the info. Yeah. And then I think historically now, once they receive the info, you're told where they are as well. We're told where the information is obtained from. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to be there by the time. This is a reality, isn't it? Yeah, they, they know that we're going to be told that. So it gives you a, it does, it obviously gives you a starting point for that last 24 hours and mm. chance. However, what we do know is that the one place they're very, very unlikely to be, unless they're playing a really good, good game, is where that message was, <laughs> was picked up. They're going to be gone, aren't they? Um, it's going to be very brave if they're going to stay there and see if we turn up or not. I just find it so like fascinating that they would be very brave to, to stay there. And yeah, like I said, I think it does sort of just change your, your game a little bit. And at that point, I felt in this particular series that it was just a case of if they could get there, they'd get captured. It was basically who was going to get there first. It, it became less about hunting a fugitive in that last episode, that last 15 minutes, and more about who's just going to get to Fair Oaks first. Yes. yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And we've seen... Seen that I think with a few extractions, isn't it? That dash for the dash for the finish line, so to speak. But and they were trying to stop the plane, weren't they? Mm. Which yeah. um, I think would be slightly unfair if if Hunter headquarters could just stop the plane, so they're on it. Well, I remember them um, talking about this in the last episode. Um, so they said there are certain airports that you can put requests in to stop the plane taking off. Yes, but if it's an unauthorized or um, 
at an unregulated airport, then there's no control over it. And that was essentially what Fair Oaks was. It was a un- unmonitored, unmanned, whatever airport where they could just take off. Yeah, and I think that's entirely reasonable because ultimately that'd be very unfair, wouldn't it? You've got to the plane, you're, you're waiting to go, but they're just able to stop you and then come and collect you. That would be, I think... It sort of defeats the object of the whole I, game. I, I don't think it would make a very exciting end to, to the series, so I think, that was, I think that was fair play, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, final thoughts on series one, then. You've watched it back, obviously having worked on the show, but you've watched it back as a viewer as well. How do you think Series 1 has influenced both the processes which HQ now go through and the show which we see as viewers that we all have come to love over the last eight years? Well, I think, you know, it was the, it, it was the embryonic you know, start of Hunted, wasn't it? And so much that is in that show is still there. The, the, the very basic concept is still there. I think in terms of the way they edit it and they do the narrative, that's changed, um, become, you know, move with the times... But also, um, you know, what we've got available to us resource-wise has increased, uh, both in terms of the numbers of hunters and the equipment that we've got available to us. So I think that makes it a little bit more exciting. But hey, that first series and back back in 2015, it was groundbreaking, hadn't been done before. So you know, you can compare it to what's happened since, but compare it to what was there then, and it's absolutely groundbreaking. It certainly is. Those wondering when our usual heart hard-hitting questions are going to come. They're going to come at the end of the next episode. But I have got one related question to that. You are... We know that historically, like, hunters don't bring people back. It just sort of evolves. Obviously, you know, it was... We'll talk about this in the next episode. When you and Lisa came in, it was almost like a complete overhaul of hatred and everything. Maybe because of the COVID gap, that might have played a big part in it, whatever. But... You are now tasked. Let's say that Hunter's become a, it's decided to go in a new direction, for mm. example. You are tasked as um, deputy, along with Lisa and whoever. You're tasked to bring back one person to be on your investigative team in HQ and one person to be on your ground team, specifically from this very first series. Who are you going to choose? Now... We'll throw a curveball in here for you as well. You can choose, if you wanted to, a fugitive to sort of give that game groundsman turned gamekeeper sort of style element to it, poacher turned gamekeeper element to it. Yeah. Who are you going to choose to bring into your HQ team and into your ground team, specifically from Series 1? Somebody who was in Series 1 but is not in it now. So yeah, obviously you, Mark's could, discounted, Doug's discounted. Mark and Doug. And, and, uh, Smiley Steve, I think they're the only three that are still... Left and obviously Cashmore and, and Cashy as well. Yeah, so anybody that was in series one yeah. is is discounted. Yeah, yeah I, can't, so, I can't bring back somebody who's already still there. Yeah, so it's got to be someone that's been on it and no longer on it. Okay, so who would I bring back in headquarters? Uh, it's got to be Ben, actually. Um, I don't know Ben. I've never met Ben, but I I know people who know Ben, and uh, and everything I hear about him is that he's a top guy. Uh, so uh, without having ever met him, I think Ben would definitely be my choice for headquarters because, you know, just hear so many good things about him. Uh, ground hunters... doesn't necessarily have to be a ground hunter. It could be a fugitive that you sort of lean on for information or to do, like, covert work or sort of... Yeah. yeah sort of uh, but it can also be a ground hunter as well if you want, yeah. One of the fugitives in Series 1 to come and give us advice. Um, I don't think anyone could give us any real... Helpful advice, particularly. 
Um, well, you could, I suppose San, Elizabeth and Sandra could give you the advice of, oh, yeah, if they, ca- if they get on a bus, it will, it will take you to this location. Yeah, I think we know that. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, 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 I think I'd bring, if, if she'd come back, I think I'd bring Danny back as a... Well, if you get in bench, she's well, coming that's, back that's anyway. That's a couple, yeah. isn't it? She's yeah. coming back anyway. Yeah, but, yeah she's coming back anyway. You know, so she was there with Nicola and, and yeah. uh, you know... Uh, so, yeah, let's bring them back as a couple. I think that, I think that would be nice. So, um, again, I don't know I don't know Danny, but, I, again, I hear, I hear good things. She was there... On the ground of the first capture, and uh, yeah, I, let's have Ben and Danny back. Loving that. It'd be a good like little dynamic now, actually. I know because they would. sort of got together whilst the show was sort of progressing. So yeah. by series five, I think they were fully together and everything, which yeah. is quite. Well, the only downside is, of course, Ben would have my job, so that's no good, is it? <laughs> no, you can have two deputies. Because, yeah. of course, you know it was you and Mark in the last civilian yeah. series. So yeah, yeah. yeah, you can have two deputies, yeah. unless you know you want to. Say, say to Lisa, I'm taking over, but well, I wouldn't get on her bad side because, you know... Oh, she hasn't got a bad side. What are you talking about? I don't know. I don't know. Get off the fence and pick one softer shy. I don't know. There's a few, I think there's a few scathing Lisa comments in there. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's the soft, cuddly side. If that's the soft, cuddly <laughs> side, I wouldn't want to meet her down a dark alley. Ray, thanks so much for coming on and talking about Series 1 for Thank us. You. Really appreciate it. We will have you back on in a future episode where we're going to talk a little bit more about your haunted journey in general. We'll talk a little bit about the heist. Obviously nothing about what's still to come, but everything that's been on so far and just sort of get your thoughts and memories of your hunter journey so far. So thanks so much for joining us. Um, If people want to get in touch and uh, send us their comments, their questions, their opinions and all of that good stuff, where can they do that? Uh, Instagram at HuntedPod, Twitter at HuntedPod, Facebook HuntedPod or email HuntedPod at Outlook.com. Now, usually at this point, I would say that you have been capturing your time on the pod is over, but... It's not over yet, so let's just say this. We're on to you, and we're coming for you. See you next time. <laughs> could try to play, but you're never gonna beat me. Look the other way, what I'm doing ain't easy. Bloody hands stain from the people who deceive me. Bloody hands break through the chains, go free me. People like sheep move feet, hurt it easy. Don't wanna be fast asleep when they ski Better stand tall, ready for a fight, believe me When they try the chains, you can say no, free me